You're listening to Modern Intimacy, a show about mental health, sex, relationships, and the private things we need to talk about more publicly. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri. As a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, certified sex addiction therapist, and packed trained couples therapist, I help people live more fulfilled lives by shattering stigma, erasing shame, and building connections. It's no secret that we live in a society that compartmentalizes mental health and sex from our everyday lives. On this show, we're going to change that, and we'll do it by getting curious together. In this podcast, I'll invite you to join me as I investigate the relationship between sex, mental health, relationships, and modern society. In each episode, it's my goal to provide safe, smart, dimensional, and practical answers to those complex questions you've been wondering about. Head on over to modernintimacy.com slash podcast for show notes and resources, or to submit a question or topic you'd like me to explore in future episodes, as well as to find all the links to follow us on your favorite podcast apps so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Dr. Kate Balistrieri for daily tips on how to improve your mental health, sex, and relationships. Everyone has questions. You are not alone. On this show, I make information accessible because everyone deserves to have more integrated, healthy, and sexually satisfying relationships. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. My name is Caitlin. I work for March Against Revenge Porn, which is a cyber civil rights nonprofit um, dedicated to fighting revenge porn or image-based sexual abuse. Um, I'm the vice president and social media manager there, and I've been doing that since November. And the reason that I chose to get involved is because I've been a victim of imagery sexual abuse on a few different occasions. Um, The first time that it happened to me, I was a freshman in college. I had stayed overnight with a guy and um, a photo was taken with, of me without my knowledge or consent Mm. and was sent to the entire listserv of that fraternity. Um, I found out about it a week after it happened um, Mm -hmm. while I was out with friends and it was, you know, very anxiety inducing. Um, But it was also something I never heard about happening before. Mm -hmm. So I, in talking about it with friends and opening up, up, opening up about it to friends, um, it was kind of just like, well, you know, don't worry about it. It'll, you'll get past it. It'll, like disappear. Um, and I never addressed it. Um, years later I graduated college. I moved to a new city. Um, I'm totally far removed from this situation and this person. Mm -hmm. And I, um, got, you know, triggered by some episode that that I was watching on TV, like some, something that had to deal with it. And, um, you know, I was dealing with insomnia and anxiety for weeks afterwards. And that was a point where I realized like, wow, this thing that happened to me, you know, years ago when I was a freshman in college is still affecting me to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was because I, you know, buried it and never Mm -hmm. processed it because I didn't know, um, what to do. Right. Um, and then a few months after that, like very coincidentally, I became a victim again. Um, Mm. I, woke up at like two or 3am to a Facebook message from a high school acquaintance. And she let me know that, um, my photos were on a non-consensual image sharing website. Um, 
you know, going on the website, I think there were about 14 photos of me, um, you know, intimate sexually graphic photos that I had sent to one person who I was Mm -hmm. dating at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I consented for him to see them, but I didn't consent for them to be distributed on the internet. So that's a big distinction. You know, a lot of people, when we're talking about revenge porn or image-based sexual abuse, they make the argument, well, you consented to sending your images to someone. And that's just it. You consented for that one person to see those images at that right. time, not for those images to go anywhere beyond that one, that person's reception of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's difficult for me when people say things like that, because with any or with other types of sexual abuse and sexual acts, like it's very um, understood that mm-hmm. you, if you have sex with one person, you're consenting to sex with one person. You're not consenting to sex with a hundred people. Exactly. Um, and with your images being distributed and I have no idea how far they were distributed, but I would assume, you know, hundreds of people. And that is something that I definitely did not right. um, consent to happen. So, yeah. so you sent these images to the person that you were seeing at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how did they go from his possession out into the ether? Do you know? Um, so that we don't know. Um, the re- the way that I found out about it was, um, like I said, a girl from my high school let me know about mm-hmm. this one specific post or series of posts on this website. Um, and I got a lawyer and through him, he got the photos taken down, subpoenaed the internet provider. And then we found out who posted at that time, you know, okay. like, I don't know how many times they were posted before that or after that. Um, but we found out about this one specific time and, or who posted it that one specific time. And the IP address was connected to, um, my former high school teacher. What? Yeah. Your former <laughs> high school teacher. Yeah. Oh my um, gosh. What was that like to learn that? It was, um, I think that was when, you know, I experienced the height of my anxiety because I was kind of under this assumption that, um, people that are on these websites that, you know, are kind of sick enough to be getting off to non-consensual images. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, I can't know these people. Like, it's just must be some random people. I've never seen them before. I don't know them. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, that brought it, you know, very close to home and made me so anxious about, it was the worst um, timing because I found this out when I was visiting my parents for the weekend. So I was in my hometown. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And it was just like, it was hard. I mean, I was making outfit choices based on like, if my shoulders were showing, like there was all these things that I never thought I would be dealing with because it was just like, I'm walking outside my house and I'm thinking every single person here has seen me naked because like this one person who I never would have expected and have no idea how he got them saw me. So everyone in my life must have seen me, you know, that was what the story I was making up. Sure. Oh gosh. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I mean, the level of violation there is, is so significant. This is somebody who used to be a teacher for you, right? Somebody who you were entrusted in their care and, you know, for this person to, put those images out into the world. I mean, that betrayal just smacks really loud. And on top of it being someone that you know, like that, you know, and 
have that personal connection within your hometown. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Yeah. I mean, it um, was obviously not fun. Um, I think finding that out too made me feel like this was, um, I don't know, just the fact that you, like you said, he's a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm assuming that I'm not the only person that, you know, he violated in this way that he taught or teaches. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just very, yeah, not comforting, very um, gross, violating all the feelings, just all the terrible feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, You know, a lot of the research right now supports the idea that even though this is a non-contact type of sexual abuse, right, people's hands are not touching your physical person. That's what I mean by non-contact. Um, but even though it's a non-contact type of abuse, the after effects are just as, as keen and, um, very much aligned with somebody who has endured a contact-based form of sexual abuse or assault. So I wonder if you can speak a little bit to how it really has impacted you to have been victimized in this way, not once, but twice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first time it happened, I obviously, like I said, I like repressed it a lot, um, but I was not able to, um, I think it made me feel in those moments, kind of like, um, a sense of, because I was repressing it because I wasn't talking about it. There was like this shameful feeling that, um, you know, I had done something wrong, Mm -hmm. um, which just is not, a good thing to carry around. Um, and also just makes you very, um, I guess, anxious, nervous, um, careful about Mm -hmm. the people you let into your life. Um, I, after that, after the second time that it happened, um, I would say would be the worst time for my anxiety. And I had Mm -hmm. to, um, go to see a therapist, which I hadn't, gone to before. And, um, it was because it was so, um, like I couldn't do anything. Like I was Mm -hmm. just like, I, there were times when, um, I had to leave work because Mm -hmm. I was just nonstop crying. Um, and I couldn't focus. And, you know, there are times when I changed my plans because the thought of leaving my apartment and walking outside the door was so, um, anxiety inducing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in, in those moments, I wonder what, what were you afraid might be waiting for you if you were to have left your home? Like what was the anxiety rooted in? Um, I was really hyper conscious of people looking at me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because I had just been violated so much, it was like whenever somebody looked at me or I made eye contact with someone, or even if I just saw someone glance at me, I'm like, they saw me, Hmm. Um, which, you know, I mean, possible, but like also who like probably not everyone, but that's Mm -hmm. the, that's the mentality that I was walking or walking around with. Um, I struggled. It makes perfect sense, right? If someone that you did know and, and whose care you were in did this, then it, I imagine that suddenly, like all of these other relationships in your life, you started to second guess, like, who were they to you really? What were their intentions? Could you trust them? Am I close, far away? Yeah. I mean, I think um, 
it was challenging. I, with a lot of friendships, Mm -hmm. I learned um, who I could trust with this information because I know that there is still a stigma around it. I know a lot of people that I used to be close with in my life probably um, go around saying that it's my fault. And Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, romantically, I was honestly lucky that the person that I am now engaged to, um, was already in my life prior to this happening to me. Mm. So, um, I did, you know, trust him specifically. Um, we, we were friends and so I knew I could trust him. Um, but in other dating situations, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was hard. I remember when I found out that this, that these photos were originally, or when these photos, the second time it happened to me when they were posted, Mm -hmm. um, I had sent a guy that I briefly, very briefly dated, um, a photo of me in a bikini, which like people see people in bikinis all the time. Of course. Yeah. Um, but I remember I texted him and I was like, um, Hey, this happened to me. And, I want to make it clear that any photos that I sent to you, like, I know they're in my bikini. I know that other people like see me in a bikini at the pool, but like, don't send them to anybody else, delete them from your phone. Like I was just, I was very um, nervous about stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. I felt like I just wanted to cover up every aspect of my body. Like I didn't even want to see anyone to see me in like a crop top, you know, Mm -hmm. like it was just, it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, I really can just imagine how, like how hard it must have been to be in your own skin, right? Where previously you felt so liberated to just sort of show up in the world, however felt organic and right for you that day, and wear whatever you felt comfortable wearing, whether it was you know spaghetti strap tank top or long sleeves. And now all of a sudden, all this extra emphasis and focus was given to what am I wearing and how are people viewing me and am I okay with that? That feels like a lot to a lot to be thinking about on a daily basis. Yeah, and it's a lot because I obviously didn't want to carry that burden into what I wore because um, the things I wear, I've been wearing and I've been comfortable wearing, you know, since forever. I'm a, I'm a big crop top person. I love crop tops. <laughs> yeah. um, and I remember, like one time, I went out to a bar, you know, not too far after it happened. And I was wearing a crop top that showed maybe like this much skin. Mm -hmm. Um, And a guy, you know, looked at me and kind of, and said like something to me and like looked me up and down. And um, I immediately started crying and I ran out of the bar and went home. Um, So. What for you felt, felt harsh about his commentary? And I'm not suggesting that unwanted commentary is ever fun, but. No, it's not. Yeah. But, um, I think like before this happened to me, like as a, as a female, you obviously are used to, um, people catcalling you, people saying things to you Mm -hmm. when you're walking around. Like that's like, it's unfortunately normal and we get used to it and we know how to deal with it and process it. But in the, um, wake of this, I was, um, very, very sensitive to it. Mm -hmm. So he, you know, all he said was damn. And, um, which I don't know. It was just like the way that I was just kind of drinking with my friends and I was just trying to have fun with my friends and I was being sexualized without Mm -hmm. wanting to be, um, or asking for it. And that, yeah, that is what 
made me feel triggered. Yeah. Right. It, it, it really, when, when somebody has their images leaked and, and it doesn't really matter their gender or their sexual orientation, when someone has their nudes leaked or explicit images leaked without their consent, it really does create so much more focus on, on autonomy in our body, right? And, and the right to choice, the right to context. And what I'm hearing you say is that you were a lot more sensitive to being objectified by other people and being in service of their fantasies, their needs, their projections, as opposed to maybe before these incidents, when you were kind of just doing your own thing and not super focused on what other people may have had in store for you in their mind or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How did it impact your relationship um, when these came out? Yeah. So when these came out, I, um, I was single um, and I was just kind of dating um, and it impacted those relationships um, because I think it was um, – probably just harder to let people in. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really form any strong romantic connections with people that I met after that time period. And I don't know um, if this is, it's because of my trauma or not, but I know that um, in all romantic relationships with the new people that I tried to pursue um, after this happened to me, um, or basically just like non-starters. I wasn't really interested. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I wonder, um, you mentioned that some of your friends or you imagine maybe some of your friends have implied that it's your fault. I w- like, can we talk a little bit about this absolute myth that it is ever a victim's fault for anything and yeah. the pervasiveness of victim blaming, especially around image-based sexual abuse. So tell me a little bit more about your experience with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think for me, um, the main source that that came from was my mom at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she's come so far and has been, been able to understand it in a different way now. Mm-hmm. Um, but her first reaction was, like, why, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. why did you send these? Um, and it was a reaction because she was sad for me. She was, Mm -hmm. you know, really feeling hurt for me. Um, and I understand that, but it was also, um, very difficult to process because I'm like, I can, I should be able to do whatever the heck I want (laughs) and, um, (laughs) no one should take advantage of me. Um, and she did, you know, was able to understand that over time and eventually, but I think there's other people in my life who um, haven't come out and said it to me like verbatim, mm-hmm. um, but we have kind of grown distant or they haven't um, really expressed, like I post about this stuff all the time and mm-hmm. they've never um, wanted to talk. About, it's just kind of like one of those things where I'm like, and maybe it's me projecting, but I just feel like there are people still who, um, don't, um, fully support or understand, um, the mission that I'm behind and trying to, um, you know, put out there. Um, and, you know, that's evident as well on like TikTok with the videos I post, um, 
for every, you know, person reaching out to me, telling me that I'm helping them. There's also people that are just like, um, well, one way to stop this is by not po- or not sending them in the first place. Right. Um, right. So, well, that's, I, I sort of liken that argument to the don't wear provocative clothing argument when we're talking about contact-based sexual abuse and what the research shows over and over and over again is that it doesn't matter what a victim's wearing. Um, age really doesn't have anything to do with it. If somebody wants to perpetrate a sexually based offense, they will. Right. And victims by definition have no agency and no control over the situation. So what happens to them is not their fault. Right. right? And that's one thing I really want listeners to take away from this scenario because there are so many, uh, or from this episode, there are so many um, double standards that exist about sexuality uh, based on gender. And I don't hear people criticizing, um, you know, people born uh, in, in bodies with penises when they ask for (laughs) nude images or when they send explicit nude images. But when people who are born with vulvas start sending and, and sharing their nudes, they certainly receive a whole lot more scrutiny and are blamed often for what happens to the images once they are, you know, in the recipient's hands. And that's something that's really unfair. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, and thinking about that too, um, I don't have, you know, this, the data for this or the research, but the amount of like unsolicited, um, photos, intimate Mm -hmm. photos that men send, um, (laughs) you go on, like I'm on these, you know, websites. Cause I was told, Hey, you're on them. So I'll look on these websites and I'll try to look for myself or other people to alert them. And while I'm looking, I don't see any photos of men. (laughs) It's all, it's all women. (laughs) Um, and I think that that speaks volumes. It does. It it really does. And I think there are a few layers and, and nuances to that conversation that maybe are better for another time. But one of the things that really is so interesting is the way in which women's bodies continue to be commoditized for the egos of cisgender men, uh, straight men. And that those tend to be the biggest perpetrators of these crimes, um, these digital sexual offenses. And there are many people who really do um, have arousal to the idea of non-consent. And so I, I think that there are many people who do the gymnastics to make themselves believe that on some level consent was given when Mm. in fact that is absolutely not the case, right? But they do those gymnastics. And I think part of why victim blaming is as pervasive as it is, is because people don't want to believe that their high school teacher is a perpetrator of sexual violence when in fact he was for you. Mm. And it's, it's, I think a way in which, um, socially, we try to make sense of things that just don't make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I I agree with all of that. And I think um, it's just, you're, I mean, you're right. And cisgender straight men are the ones that are most often victim blaming. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is a very frustrating conversation to have. Yeah. So what would you like to say to people who would, uh, who would come, you know, come at you with victim blaming statements? I think something, something that I always say to people um, is 
people will say, well, you don't have to send nude photos. Um, don't send nude photos and this won't happen to you. And I respect everybody's right to choose whether they want to send nude photos or not, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like if mm -hmm. someone isn't comfortable doing it or just doesn't agree with it, um, that's absolutely fine. Don't. But that doesn't mean that you're ever, that doesn't mean that you're not vulnerable to this. Um, there, you know, the first time that it happened to me was I didn't even know about it. Like mm -hmm. I didn't know that it happened. It was complete without my consent or knowledge. Um, you hear several different stories of it happening with people not knowing at all. Yes. So um, blaming the victim is really just kind of um, diverting the conversation and getting away from the main point um, mm -hmm. and not productive for the overall cause of just keeping women, femmes, people safe from this non-consensual image sharing that can happen to you, whether you took the vote of yourself or not. Keeping anyone safe, right? I mean, this is, I, I really appreciate what you just said because so many people aren't even aware that their explicit images are being taken or videos. I mean, I've worked with countless people of all genders who have had their images um, or who have taken and filmed people or photographed people without their consent and have either kept those images for their own use or who have distributed them, um, you know, in a public way. So it happens all the time. And it has nothing to do with somebody sending their own nude. And right. the other thing that um, stands out as a part, a necessary part of this conversation is that when people, like let's say, for example, when men send pictures of their penises unsolicited, it's considered image-based sexual abuse for somebody to share those images right. with another person, even though they receive them in an unsolicited form, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, maybe think twice about sending that unsolicited pic because you don't know where it might end up and it's not okay to share those images and it does happen. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is um, what are some of the resources that you would like uh, victims and survivors of image-based sexual abuse to know and have at their disposal? So at March Against Revenge Porn, um, we have a victim support hotline or Mm, we have, it's like a talk. It's not a, it's not a phone call. Um, okay. we're, we're working on getting a text line. Okay. Um, but right now we have, you know, a service where you can put in your information, your situation, um, where you live, all of those things. And we'll help you with, um, non-legal advice and different, um, emotional support. Um, we also have a legal defense fund that you can apply for that will help contribute to legal funds. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's really rewarding to be able to give that to people because, you know, for me, I've, um, and obviously in talking about it, I've done a lot of healing since it's happened. And, um, I'm very like beyond grateful for my therapist because I don't know what I would have done without her. Um, but I know that there are so many people that, um, were like me the first time that this happened and just didn't know resources, didn't know um, that this happened to other people and just felt so, you know, ashamed in shamed into silence. And yeah. um, I think talking about it is, you know, just the most important thing. Absolutely. I agree with you so much. Uh, finding community of people who will support you after any kind of violation like that is so important because the isolation, sitting with it by yourself, ruminating about what's happened or what could happen as a result really makes it that much scarier, right? To just yeah. live in that solitary echo chamber. So find community, find other people who can help you talk through um, or 
find resources through your experience is really important. Yeah, no, I think those, I think those are both really important elements and, you know, whether which one comes first um, is up to the victim, but I think they're both together very important because um, not everyone's comfortable talking about it right away, but um, it is important to, I mean, I think the first person, I don't know. I, I don't think I really told any, I think the first thing I did was go online and try to find resources and connected with a bunch of people who this happened to them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, um, talking about it with other people in my life was just not because I didn't trust them, but just because I'm like, they haven't gone through this and I'm freaking out and mm-hmm. I need to talk to people who, um, understand. So I don't have to over explain. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that's very important. Well, I wonder if you can say a little bit about the recent series that you've been doing on TikTok about the legislation around image-based sexual abuse. It's been really informative. Yeah. So there currently is legislation in 48 states, one territory, NDC. And that sounds really great on paper, but the laws are very inconsistent um, and they're just not perfect. Um, There's a lot of states that um, there's a public concern exception. So if you are a um, public official, they could argue that it's okay that your news got leaked because it's public concern. What? Um, Like in the case of... Katie Hill, that's Mm -hmm. what happened recently in her case. um, The judge ruled that it was a public exception, um, which no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, I mean, if that's the case, then shouldn't all politicians be subject to scrutiny over their sex lives? Right. I mean, exactly. That's like, that's why it makes no sense. I, I think, you know, if they're committing or doing a sexual act that's inappropriate that involves, um, you know, someone that they work with or that's otherwise inappropriate, um, right. definitely public information, but mm-hmm. the new, like if there's news that came out of that, that's not public information. Right. Um, that can be kept to the people involved. Um, it's a very weird thing to try to wrap my head around because I just don't, I don't understand it. Mm. Um, there's also in a lot of the state laws, um, different restrictions on age on if you can get protection. Um, and that's unfortunate because it makes it so people who, um, you know, sent the photos when they were younger, um, a, a younger than the age of 18, it's considered child pornography mm-hmm. and they could be the ones, you know, even though they're, they were abused, their nudes got leaked. Um, they can't in a lot of cases go and take this legally because, um, they get in a lot of trouble for it. Yeah. What recommendations would you make for people who are trying to make room and space for sending nudes to a partner that they consent to um, in order to keep themselves protected? You know, I heard you say, keep your face in the image so that there's identification opportunities. What would be some other ways people can? Um, yeah, some themselves? other, some other ways. Um watermark your photos before you send them. So before you send them, to, if you're sending to multiple people, um, put a different water, watermark for each person you're sending to so that if they do get leaked, um, you'll know who did it and obviously make the watermark, you know, maybe like not identifiable until you edit it or something so that they don't know that it's there. Um, then there is also, um, 
establish an expectation of privacy mm-hmm. because there are in a lot of states and I've heard about it, um, people being like, well, um, she sent the photos. So there's no expectation of privacy. Um, so getting that in writing, being like, Hey, these photos are only for you and screenshotting that and just like saving it in a folder on your computer or something, um, mm-hmm. could really help later, later on. If those photos ever get leaked without your consent, you can be like it, here it is. Um, mm-hmm. so there's that, um, also changing your passwords regularly to prevent, you know, any kind of information being leaked in that way. Um, two-factor authentication, um, those I think, you know, are the main ways that I would suggest, um, doing that. And I also think that for a lot of, um, this, you know, affects young women, um, a lot. And Mm -hmm. I think something that's also important to keep in mind is if, you are a young woman and you're not sure if you want to send these photos, like take a breath, think Mm -hmm. about it. Um, make sure you're comfortable doing it. Make Mm -hmm. sure that you're not manipulated into doing it. Um, maybe talk to a close friend, like flesh Mm -hmm. it out with them. Um, I think it's really important for young women to, um, feel safe in doing so and feel safe in the relationship that they're doing. So doing it with, and just feel like it's a hundred percent their decision. Mm -hmm. I agree. And it's, you know, it's difficult to know if you're being manipulated or groomed. So I really like your idea of getting consultation with somebody that you trust about the context of the conversation in which, you know, nudes are being requested of you or, you know, in which you desire to send them. And there's nothing wrong with talking to friends and making sure that, you know, you're seeing everything that that you can see. And even that is not a, a foolproof strategy because right. people can say all the right things, they can do all the right things and still go behind your back and post images or videos without consent. So it, it really is a bit of a gamble. Um, but I, I love this idea of watermarking photos. I've, I've mentioned that in different articles I've written about this topic because I do think it's important that we create strategies for accountability. But when it comes to digital sexual abuse and image-based sexual abuse, one of the things that I think plays a role in why people have a, a, a lapse in their understanding of consent is because it's digital and we dehumanize these two-dimensional images. We forget sometimes that there's a whole human being with a whole experience of themselves right. and their life on the other side of this image. And even one person seeing the image can shatter their sense of safety when it comes to sexuality. It can impact the way they see their bodies. It can impact how they trust others in the, in the world around them and in their relationships. And it can send people into a maelstrom of psychological uh, side effects and symptoms related to PTSD, anxiety, depression. So it's really important that we remember the dimensionality of each person whose images we are seeing, whether they're images that have been shared with you, that you're seeing online, whether they are a character in a movie or an actor or an actress, a politician, we're all human beings. And when we can protect that, that's when people can share with gusto their sexuality with one another. And that's really special. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, um, yeah, the conversation of consent is 
one that I have been, I feel like since my youth has been ingrained in my head, but still is not fully grasped by a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for coming on the show today and sharing your experience. I'm eternally grateful that you are talking about this. And uh, I hate that it happened to you. And I'm so glad that you are taking an empowered step, not only for yourself, but for all other victims out there. So thank you. Yeah. Thank. I mean, thank you for um, broadcasting this, talking about it. Um, I always feel so grateful when people asked to talk about this thing with me because, um, the first step to, you know, fixing it is just awareness. So thank you. Where can people reach you if they want to get involved or if they have questions or want resources? Sure. So, um, our Instagram is March against revenge porn and that's March against revenge PRN. Um, that is also our TikTok. Um, my personal TikTok is revenge PRN girl. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm also on Instagram as Katie Bob, K A I T Y B O P underscore. So, okay. Awesome. Thanks. I'll put all that in the show notes. If anyone wants to check out our website at modernintimacy.com slash podcast, find the episode and all of Caitlin's information will be there. Thank you for listening to this episode of modern intimacy. Follow our show on your favorite podcast app by going to modernintimacy.com slash podcast. And while you're there, Don't forget to enter in a question or a topic idea for future episodes. That's modernintimacy.com slash podcast. This show is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for therapy or psychiatric care. Listening to this show or submitting questions or topic ideas does not constitute a therapeutic or professional relationship with Dr. Kate Balistrieri or any providers that work at Modern Intimacy. If you're having a medical or psychiatric emergency, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room. All opinions expressed by guests on this show are those of the guests only and are not necessarily indicative of those opinions held by Dr. Kate Balistrieri or staff at Modern Intimacy. Thank you for listening to today's show. For more episode information and helpful tips, visit modernintimacy.com or follow us on Instagram at The Modern Intimacy or follow Dr. Kate on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrieri. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.